Coming up on the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast, we catch up with women's footy editor at AFL Draft Central, Julia Montesano. Co-founder of CrossCoders, Jason Hill. USAFL media manager, Brian Barish. Plus, there's our State League's wrap with Aaron Russell, Matthew Cox and Lauren Hodgson. And all the latest from London with Mitch Scully. That's all coming up over the next hour and a half. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast. This podcast airs first as a radio program Wednesday evening, 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne via the RSN Racing and Sport app or rsn.net.au. And our Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Match of the Day this weekend is on Sunday from 2pm as we broadcast the Southern Saints versus Melbourne University from Skybus Stadium in Frankston. Join us 2pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival Digital Radio, the RSN Racing and Sport app and via rsn.net.au. Our first guest for this week was on special comments for us for the Hawthorne versus Essendon game about a month ago. She's been spending some time up on the Gold Coast having a look at the AFLW Under-18s Nationals and assessing the best talent and who might be drafted come October. It's our great privilege to have on the line the women's footy editor at AFL Draft Central, Julia Montesano. Julia, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you, Peter? Great to have you back. And how's the tan for being a week up in the Gold Coast? Oh, the tan's looking okay. It's just starting to fade away here in this Melbourne weather. But, yeah, I'm surviving. Now, before we go into the particular players that we're having a look at, I guess you would have been also spying around who was in the crowd. Um, how many, um, I guess, recruiters, coaches, etc., did you manage to spot while you were up there all having a keen eye, not only for 2019, but the clubs that will be involved come 2020? Yeah, there were definitely a few AFL coaches just lingering around. I did see um, Western Bulldogs coach Paul Groves, um, Wayne Seekman, I think I did see float around too. Daniel Hartford was there as well. Um, obviously, Sarah Black was there reporting for AFL.com.au and Michelle Klein as well. And obviously, the um, AFLW commentators were all there to have a spy and they're um, heavily involved in their clubs as well. Also saw Kate Sheehan pop up too. So plenty of big names up on the Gold Coast. Everyone made the trip down and so they should have. It was a great, great tournament. So let's have a look at some of the players that may have stood out. We're going to focus first, obviously, on Vic Country and Vic Metro, not only because we're Melbournians, but simply because of the fact of because we've had North Melbourne and Geelong come in, Geelong will have the first two draft picks, so they'll obviously be jumping on the best two uh, under-18 talent they can find in Victoria, and obviously the other clubs having to try and top up their list after being rated, particularly by the likes of North Melbourne. Uh, exactly. We, 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 we start with Vic Metro, and let's be honest, uh, Julia, there's only one name. Everyone's keeping an eye on out of Vic Metro. Yeah, certainly Madison Presparks is the one that's turning heads. She was named the overall MVP for the series, along with um, Nina Morrison from the Geelong Falcons and from Vic Country. She's also named the MVP for a side. This is um, Maddie's consecutive year winning that award as well. She won the Cannons Best and Ferris just over a month ago too. So she's really raking in all the awards, and so she should because she's a fantastic footballer. I mean, she's got a fantastic all-round game. She can kick well. She can handball. She's an electric tackler. I mean, I saw her take down, I think, Janet Baird once in the tournament, which is not very easy to do. So she can really do anything. She could float up forward and have an immediate impact. And she's just a really good leader on the field as well. So she's definitely a name to watch out for. And I think she'll go very high up. A footballer that we managed to um, see a few weeks ago in the Carlton Collingwood game and kicked a couple of goals for the Magpies is Daisy Bateman. Seemed to us, seemed to be like, at least at senior women's level, uh, more of a goal sneak. What role did she play when uh, she was playing for Vic Metro up there in the Nationals? 
Yeah, she played her same old forward role. I mean, she just was playing really one out with the, with the players and then she was sneaking out the back when she did as well. So she was playing a bit of variety of roles up forward, but she definitely stayed inside 50 for the tournament and did what she did best, which is getting goals. I mean, she got multiple goals, I think, twice it was in the tournament as well. So she definitely um, got herself in the goals too. And she was helping out the players as well. I mean, getting plenty of assists off and just creating that excitement in the forward line, which really helped Vic Metro be as successful as they were. Also, Eleanor Brown was another one that got the opportunity to uh, play as a 23rd player in the uh, VFLW. Yeah, Eleanor Brown was fantastic for Vic Metro as well. She's fantastic in the midfield and she's really creative with halfback as well. I mean, she's got really strong hands and she intercepts really well. She's also a really strong runner on the inside and on the outside too. She can really create excitement and she did get a heap of the ball as well. I think she got 20-odd disposals in the last match of the tournament against the Central Allies. So she did get plenty of the ball and she generally, um, she generally tends to use it well too. So, and obviously seeing her in the Southern State, she made an immediate impact as well. So she can match it up to any competition and I think she showed that as well at the Gold Coast. That's three names that stood out to me. For yourself and Vic Metro, who else uh, put their hand up? Out of, particularly out of the top ages that will be most likely taken come October. Yeah, definitely Katie Lynch is one we should look at from Vic Metro. I mean, she's from the Oakley Charter, same team as um, Daisy Bateman. She's a fantastic player in the midfield she didn't get too much games for Oakley this season which is probably why she has been overlooked but that's because of school sports so she didn't get to play that much games but obviously now with school finishes in year 12 so she'll finish school this year she'll have all the time in the world to play and she's absolutely electric I mean the Collingwood connection with Oakley obviously puts her right up there to get drafted obviously to Collingwood but we'll, we'll see where she goes because I think she'll definitely get picked up she's an amazing talent she's got a really long kick and she's got a really good height as well I mean she's a tall midfielder she kind of plays like almost like a Patrick Cripps or like she really stands Head and shoulders above the rest, and she plays some fantastic footy too. Let's turn our attention to Vic Country and uh, the Geelong Falcon footballer in Olivia Purcell. People are talking her up as possibly a top two draft pick. Yeah, Olivia Purcell's a fantastic midfielder. I mean, she's probably one of the most aggressive midfielders um, in the Tac Cup girls competition this year. I mean, she tackled extremely hard. Her closing speed was fantastic, and her kicking too was really good. It penetrated forward and it created plenty of opportunities for her side. And I think. That was all done on the back of some um, being complimented by Nina Morrison as well. I mean, those two in the midfield work sensationally together. Olivia Purcell on the inside and Nina Morrison on the outside. I mean, that's a huge force to be reckoned with. And if they both go to Geelong, if the Geelong decide to go local, that'll be a huge combination and really lethal for the Cats next year. As we've seen for many years on the men's side with Geelong, particularly a lot of them recruited uh, the the boys out of the Geelong Falcons program over the number of years that went on to play in premierships for them. And, of course, Patrick Dangerfield coming back home. You've seen those players excel when they've allowed to be allowed to stay in their local community and play at Geelong. I guess for the Cats fans, they'll be crossing those fingers that those players do get picked up and that have similar results on the, on the women's side as they have on the men's. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Cats have a huge potential as well with the players they've picked up. They have gone locally, as we know already, and they haven't really gone outside of their local realm to kind of poach other players like North probably have. But yeah, Geelong have gone local and the community's probably hoping that um, Morrison and Purcell can probably land there as well. And obviously McAvoy as well for next year. I mean, she keeps a bag of goals in the tournament, five goals, and then followed by another four goal match. So she's eligible for next year. So I think the stocks are really good for the Cats. It's just a matter of getting the right players and getting them to excel in their own environment, which I'm sure they will. Another couple of names that have popped up through the traps have been Jordan Allen and Tyler Hanks for Vic Country. Yeah, those two players have been solid throughout their whole football careers. I mean, Jordan Allen, believe it or not, did motor, motocross racing when she was little and ballet. So she's obviously had a unique journey to football, but she's stayed in the sport. She's loved it ever since. And she's just such a penetrating player. She can play in defence or in the midfield. And she's really, you can't really say which, um, which role she exceeds better at because 
she makes an impact in both roles. I mean, she's one of the best intercept marks in the Tack Cup girls competition this year. She created her own wall back there and she was really damaging for the Stingrays and a, and a great leader for them as well, I thought too. And Tyler Hanks, as we know, she's probably just as damaging as Press Barkers when she's on it, when she's at her best. I mean, it's very hard to split those two apart when they're both at their best, but yeah, Hanks will definitely be one to watch and she'll definitely go high because even we saw when she played for Carlton in the VFLW, Lee disposal get her in her first match. So she can definitely match it up to the bigger bodies and the bigger names in the game. So, yeah, we'll definitely have to see where she goes. Let's turn our attention to the Eastern Allies, which were a combination of New South Wales ACT and Tasmania. Uh, three New South Wales ACT players have made the All-Australian squad. Brianna McFarlane, uh, Elise Parker and Alexia Hamilton as a tall forward, which they will need there at uh, GWS if she elects to be in the New South Wales draft pool because of the loss of Phoebe McWilliams. Yeah, exactly right. Alexia Hamilton's a really good forward. I mean, she kicked um, their only two goals in one of the matches in the tournament as well. So she's done she's done really well on the forward line, considering the Eastern Allies didn't have the best of success, but she's one that presents really well to the footy and really hard to the footy as well. So she can be a real force for the Giants if they choose to go with her, and she probably will elect to stay in her local area, considering most of the girls are looking down that path from what I've seen. So, yeah, I think she'll be really good for the Giants if she does get picked up there. The one Tasmanian named in the All-Australian squad was Mia King. So, uh, obviously, now the question will just be posed, well, Scott Gowans pick her up being, uh, obviously, having access to the Tasmanians as part of the North Melbourne Tasmanian uh, bid that to enter the AFLW. Yeah, I certainly think some Tas- Tasmanians will definitely make it into the North Melbourne side. I mean, Mia King's not the only name as well. I mean, you've got Lauren Stevenson as well, who's a great lockdown defender. She could play any role. She's an overager as well. She played in this tournament. And you've got the Haynes sisters as well, the Haynes twins, in fact, and Libby and Chloe, and they were fantastic through the tournament too. So there's plenty of options for him to pick up a Tassie girl, and I think any of them does get deserved to play because – and it's really good for them. They can stay in the local state, they can elect to stay there, and they can still get drafted to an AFLW club, which is a really fantastic initiative. Now, they've been talking up for the Central Allies, which are South Australia and the Northern Territory, which are basically if they nominate for their own state, they'll go to the Adelaide Crows if the Crows elect to pick them up. They're talking up South Australia's uh, Rochelle Martin. She's only 153 centimetres tall, but deadly around the goals and elusive through the middle of the ground. Absolutely. Rochelle Martin's absolutely fantastic around the goals. I mean, she just knows how to find the footy. She's really attacking on the ball and she's fierce and hungry. I mean, I met her in person. She's this lovely, sweet girl. And then she goes on the field and she just changes into this aggressive tackler and kicker of the ball. And she just loves her footy. I mean, I think it's a really good story if she does get picked up. Obviously not being a very tall height, but she's really damaging. And that's what the trend is this year. I mean, there's a lot of small players, but a lot of them are damaging. Rochelle Martin is definitely one of them. And looking at the South Australians that have been selected for the All-Australian squad, you've got uh, Montana McKinnon in there and a couple of names that have been known throughout the Adelaide Footy League traps in Nikki Gore and Caitlin Rosenweg. Yeah, absolutely. Nikki Gore is a very dangerous player through the midfield and she's absolutely fantastic at accumulating the ball. I mean, she just does it week in, week out um, without fault either. And Caitlin Rosenweg up forward, well, we know what she can do. I think she's a really great goal kicker. She's leading the goal kicking, I think, for a local team as well at the moment too. So... She just gets up forward and she keeps getting the job done and she really does love her footy too. There's plenty of South Australian names that we can go through as well that um, are really doing well, especially we did talk about Montana McKinnon as well. She's got probably the strongest hands in the tournament that we that I saw on the Gold Coast. I mean, she marked literally everything. She had a goal-saving tackle on the goal line. I mean, she's just a fantastic player and she deserves to get picked up because she's a real talent and, yeah. 
Also, Janet Baird, the uh, solo Northern Territory player, um, selected into the All-Australian squad. She was actually part of the train-on squad for the uh, NT Thunder uh, to play in the VFLW. Yeah, she was. And I think she definitely showed her credentials in the tournament as well. She's got electric speed. She can create um, excellent running carry through the middle of the ground. And she really creates opportunities for her team. I mean, I think they definitely loved having her in the team as well, obviously combining South Australia and the Northern Territory for the Central Allies. I mean, it's so good to have her there, having experienced that high level of football and being able to carry that down to the younger girls as well has been really helpful helpful for their development too. And she actually played in the NT Thunder's inaugural game against uh, uh, Darabin at Preston City Oval, laying six tackles in that match. Turning our attention to uh, WA in Queensland, which everyone will be keeping an eye on, particularly first with WA, because we know that... uh, it's been a tough couple of years for the Fremantle Dockers to start the AFLW. They're looking to rebound from that. Um, the big talk coming into um, the tournament was Mackenzie Dowrick. Yeah, Mackenzie's absolutely fantastic. I mean, she played in an AFLW Academy game where they played the Geelong Cats VFLW side, and she absolutely dominated. I mean, she can, she's one of those players, similar to Jordan Allen, actually, that can play in the midfield and can roll back into defence when needed to. She's just got a really long penetrating kick that can really get the play going for a side and when she's on she can make a huge impact as well she's been in the program for ages and she keeps excelling at it in whatever she does I mean she's a real force to be reckoned with and uh, I believe a couple of familiar names there Sabrina Duffy and Kate Bartlett and particularly when I saw Kate Bartlett's name it seems that a couple of overages were allowed to play in the national championships this year yeah for sure so Duffy and as well as Bartlett are, are overages and also Sarah Garston is another overager too as well as top of my head and she's um a former state netballer too. So there's definitely um, plenty of talented players that WA are giving a second chance to because as we know, with only one WA team, it is hard to get the girls drafted to Fremantle, but they've obviously given them a second chance because they certainly deserve it. I mean, Duffy's a really fantastic player as well. She was named um, WA's MVP and so she should be. I mean, she was a captain of the side, an excellent leader. She created great run and carry through defence and she popped back into the midfield when she needed to as well. She's a massive tank. And she can really make a difference for that side too. And we obviously know what Kate Bartlett can do. She can just get up forward and kick goals and make an impact immediately when she's needed to. So I'm really glad they gave them a second chance to play in the WA lineup. And hopefully they do get drafted because they definitely have worked hard for this spot. And how did you assess the WA talent this year? Because the heat is on out of WA, not only to lift Fremantle, but within the space of 12 months, they've got to then create a squad for the West Coast Eagles. Oh, they've got a huge talent pool. I mean, there's plenty of players that we could reel off as well. I mean, Mackenzie Dowry, sister Abby, is even like more exciting than Mackenzie in, in many ways. I mean, she's an aggressive footballer. She loves to tackle as well. And Sonia Duritzi in the ruck, she has a great story to her as well. I mean, she just, she loves her family. And love, like most of them do, they want to stay in their state. So I think there's an initiative there to create another team so many girls can stay in their state, not have to move away from their families and really just build up that heritage there in the WA because it really is a passionate footballing state. All the girls are really happy to be there on the Gold Coast and they're all just um, absolutely honoured to be selected for their state. They know how much of a big deal it is and they keep want, they want to keep playing for them. Let's have a look at the Queensland squad. Lucky last because those players, um, if they get drafted this year, if they nominate for the Queensland pool, will be going to the Brisbane Lions, the bottom ages. There'll be a chance of being picked up by the Gold Coast Suns for the 2020 season. And all the talk was about the highlight reel that is Isabella Dawes. Yeah, she's fantastic up forward. I mean, she gets plenty of goals and she's also a really... She creates lots of opportunities as well with her tackling and her running carry as well. I mean, she compliments her teammates and she's really up and about all the time, as you can see when you watch her on the field. She's never really – she always just demonstrates good body language, always willing to go for the footy and 
she's definitely a prospect to watch out for, especially with Craig Starsevich being the coach of the under-18 Queensland side. He's definitely seen a lot of the girls and he knows who he's keeping his eye on. In their second win of the tournament, she actually recorded 16 disposals, three tackles and two inside 50s. And that, of course, as you mentioned, is in a short and 15-minute quarter game. Exactly. So like we always say on the coverage, if you if you think about that, you have to double it if you're if you're thinking about the men's game because if there were longer quarters, she'd absolutely dominate and she's doing so already. I mean, she just creates opportunities whenever she gets the ball in hand and she's really skillful. I mean, she always does it effortlessly, you know, the clean hands, the deft kicks as well. I mean, she's a really impactful player and she really helped Queensland, especially in this, what I thought was a good tournament for them, especially being Vic Metro for the first time ever. Yeah, and 10 uh, uh, named to the All-Australian squad coming out of Queensland, such as Lauren Ballas a name to throw in there, Natalie Grider, Tori Groves, and uh, Dee Heslop, for example. Yeah, Dee Heslop's one that's in the Suns Academy, so she's, de- so she's definitely a chance to be picked up there, or um, obviously at Brisbane if she um, if she likes to go there too. So there's plenty of potential there. Tori Groves Little is um, an AFLW Academy member, so she's got some good learning experience from that Academy too. Lauren Ballas a fantastic player in the Ruck. She's extremely tall for someone of her age as well and she definitely creates opportunities when she can too so there's plenty of there's plenty of names to like in the Queensland lineup and I was really impressed with their tournament and like we said Natalie Grido as well she's a, she was the captain of their side and named the MVP as well she was fantastic with her strong hands and also running carry and kicking too so like I said there's plenty to like out of the Queensland stocks. So off the top of your head at the moment, Julia, no pressure. Who do you believe will be the number one draft pick in the AFLW draft, knowing that Geelong has the pick and that player has to nominate for the Victorian draft pool? And along with that number one pick, who do you think might be a late smoky that might rise through the ranks and uh, catch a few people off guard considering their performance at the Nationals? I don't like putting my finger on one player because I don't like to put pressure on them. But I think, uh, obviously, the overall MVPs of the tournament were Madison Prasparkis and also Nina Morrison as well. I think they're probably the two top names to consider for that number one spot. And you've also got the likes of Olivia Purcell and Jordan Allen pushing hard too. Tyler Hanks could be one that does become a smoky. I mean, she does. Um, she has played some solid footy throughout her career, and that could that could be an option that they go for too because she is a really damaging player as well. Well, Julia, thank you very much for all you've done covering the um, uh, under-18s Carnival for AFL Draft Central and sharing that information with us here at Women's Australian Rules Football and RSN Carnival. And we look forward to having you very soon back in the commentary box. Thank you, Peter. Looking forward to it. Now, here at Women's Australian Rules Football Radio, we've been arguing for a long time, and this goes back to our days known as Girls Play Footy Radio, that women from outside of Australia can make it in the AFLW if they're given the chance. Because unlike the men, where the gap between professionalism Australia and amateur football overseas is just huge, and it's very difficult to try and make it to the big time, in the women, the gap's actually rather small. Because essentially, a number of the AFLW players have only just started taking up the game in recent years. And we know, for example, in the US, that there are women playing the game of Aussie rules that play college sports, whether it be basketball, soccer or rugby, and some of those skills are transferable to Aussie rules. And if they're given more game time and more opportunity, they too could make the same level. This is where cross-coders have stepped in. It's a joint initiative between the Western Bulldogs and, at the moment, AFL England and AFL Ireland Women's. We're hoping soon that the North Americans will join on board to the program as well. Essentially, it works like this. Uh, Women that are based outside of Australia that are currently playing Aussie rules or maybe playing another sport who think they can transfer to Aussie rules, such as Gaelic football, uh, are being encouraged to put in their application. 
a number are going to get selected and invited to train at a rookie camp in uh, late September in Melbourne. Then at the end of that rookie camp, one woman will be offered an AFLW rookie contract with the Western Bulldogs. That's just the same as the other rookies that get taken in a draft in October. That means you'll be training with the AFLW squad. And should someone be injured, there's the opportunity that you could be upgraded to the primary list and actually play AFLW matches in 2019. This is very, very exciting and something we've been advocating for for a long time. And to give us all the details, we've got on the line one of the co-founders of CrossCoders, the AFL England president, Jason Hill. Jason, how are you? Uh, very well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. And can I say that you are president in exile? You are the president of AFL England, but you find yourself in Melbourne at the moment. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I uh, I run a very talented team back in uh, the UK, but uh, do that from uh, from here in uh, in well, what is quite cold Melbourne at the moment. And uh, some scorching hot weather over at the moment in the uh, Northern Hemisphere. But let's talk about the Northern Hemisphere and Aussie Rules football because you've come up with this unique program and partnership called CrossCoders. Can you give us a brief overview of what CrossCoders is all about? Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a strategic partnership uh, with the uh, Western Bulldogs to find an international rookie for the upcoming uh, women's AFL season. Um, we believe that there's talent out there that might come from various sports, whether that's rugby, basketball, netball, uh, hockey, which aren't professional for women across the world right now, and uh, actually have the ability to cross-code this into uh, AFLW. I mean, with the new teams and the expansion expected over the next two uh, years in the AFLW, we believe there's uh, definitely going to be an opportunity to uh, fill some of this uh, void of of talent uh, with uh, people from uh, various places across the world. So let's go to the core of the program. You've got on board, obviously, Lauren Spark, which, uh, of course, as we all know, she was assistant coach with the GB Swan. She played for a couple of years with the Wimbledon Hawks over in the AFL London Women's League, and she's managed to get into the ear of Paul Groves, the uh, coach, uh, the premiership coach for the Western Bulldogs in the 2017 AFLW, public 2018 AFLW season. Um, how did it all happen? How did it, uh, the Western Bulldogs come to the table and agree essentially to give up one rookie spot to allow whoever is the graduate or the successful candidate through your CrossCoders program to have a rookie contract with the AFLW club? Yeah, I mean, what happened was uh, me and Lauren are close friends and we, uh, from our time at the Wimbledon Hawks, I was also a player there. And um, we've uh, spent time together since we came to since I came to Australia and she came back to Australia. And I mean, for her, one of the things she's very conscious about is that her playing days aren't going to go on forever and needs to find um, an opportunity to, to basically use her I think, fairly unique talents in having this relationship with the international community to um, provide some something back to the sport that's given her very recently so much. So we came up with the the concept of being able to try and find opportunities for international talents to, to come into the AFL. And I mean, from this, uh, obviously, Paul, seeing the back of the likes of Cora at, um, at GWS, thought uh, there must be some more talent out there, whether that's in Gaelic football or in other sports um, across uh, the world. And I mean, it's definitely a niche right now where there's not many professional sports for women outside of maybe the WNBA in North America and 
the women's uh, sort of Super League soccer in 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 England, um, it means that if you're not in that one percent of them score, means that I think the AFL has got a unique opportunity here to um, really fill that gap because we're seeing that these sports are becoming more professional. And right now, if we don't act, we will lose the likes of the the hockey players, the rugby players, the netball players to their own sports because they will slowly become professional. And I think the AFL can steal a march here by finding opportunities for these girls. Let's step back for a moment. You did mention about Cora Staunton. And um, was that, I guess, a sense of relief for the international women's footy community that even though obviously she hadn't played for the Banshees at that stage, um, that she did well, that, that might have finally opened the eyes of AFLW coaches to international women playing our game, particularly since there was, I guess, a feeling of a bit of a letdown after IC17, that there really wasn't much attention paid from AFL circles onto the talent that was there? Yeah, I mean, it certainly was a, um, great to see her succeed, and I think she's done a, a great job as that sort of trailblazer and first um, a woman to really take, I guess, an international cross code and come in. But there's been enough success to say that there is a probably stable-ish pipeline um, there. I mean, I, my, I'd love to see that continue, especially in the women's. I think there's plenty of um, women in Gaelic circles in Ireland and also around the sort of Irish um, AFL side that can definitely come to women's AFL. I, I tend to agree with what you're saying around the the lack of attention may be paid um, at IC17. I know that some coaches were there watching, but maybe didn't make their presence that well known. Um, and it was just a case of just trying to find maybe one or two that that could make the step up. If you're playing with, uh, I guess, elite level players, can you find your niche in that rather than having to be the, I guess, the star that can do everything and beat a team single-handedly? Now, one thing I did notice on your website, obviously you've talked about AFL England being involved in the program. I've also noticed the AFL Ireland women's logo. How did the conversations go with uh, Michael Curran and Olivia McCann over there about getting Ireland involved in the program as well? Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, as a as a concept, this isn't necessarily an AFL England run concept. Obviously, myself being a a member of both gives us that strategic edge to, to put this in place first, because obviously. Before we announced it, we didn't necessarily go out to the the other nations. Um, very much the minute it got arranged, uh, they they reached out to me saying, "Look, we've seen AFL England involved. We really want AFL Ireland to be involved as well." And it was just a very very I guess easy conversation to have because we believe there is so much talent in Ireland um, that we can definitely look to to lean on some of that um, to to try and find one or two maybe even a few more girls that can become part of this process um, and yeah, come out to uh, Australia in September. Now, I noticed also on the website when there was obviously photos of uh, players obviously trying to promote Aussie Rules football, I saw the three letters of USA. Ha- has there been a reach out yet to the North Americans, the USAFL program and the AFL Canada program to either this year or in coming years to bring them into cross-coders as well? Yeah, I've, I've spoken with both presidents there in various stages of this process. Um, it's definitely something we're looking to do. Um, we know they've been traditionally very successful women's uh, teams when it comes to the international cups and their leagues are growing from strength to strength. Um, obviously, a huge college network of sport there as well, which um, have many sports like basketball and lacrosse, which can play quite nicely into uh, cross-coding into AFL. 
Now, with this being with the Western Bulldogs for year one, has there already been feelers put out to the other AFLW clubs or is it a case of let's get this first year off the ground and then look to extend the program? This is, I mean, an ongoing conversation with everyone. That includes the Western Bulldogs. Obviously, they've given us the, uh, they've had the foresight to want to be involved in a program like this. So, I mean, they're definitely a, a very much a driving force behind this uh, alongside the, the people we've got involved uh, our side. So, I mean, I think it would be, I guess, too early for me to say that this will become a AFL-wide um, program uh, in a year's time. We need to prove the success of it firstly, um, but actually secondly as well, we need to um, we need to understand actually what the talent pools look like uh, internationally. We need to understand what the talent pools look like in in Australia for next year, especially with the uh, extra expansion teams coming in next year as well. So, it I mean it's very much a a moving beast this one, and we will very much be looking to be as agile as possible as we move forward. Now, importantly, for the uh, women that are based outside of Australia that do want to uh, take part in cross-coders and hopefully earn that rookie contract with the Western Bulldogs, what's the first step they need to do? The first step they need to do, they need to go onto the website and submit the uh, very, very short application there. And from there, um, our team here in Australia will have a quick review of that, um, their background, and then uh, we'll reach out to them with the next steps, which will be, uh, some video submissions that will uh, be required um, and some testing submissions just to basically give, a, I guess, a baseline of uh, what we can expect from that individual if they were invited to uh, to Australia. That website again, crosscoders.co, crosscoders.co. Now, those applications must be in by the 21st of August, so they've only got just under a month to do this. Um, then the rookie camp is going to be held in Melbourne uh, between the 22nd and 28th of September. Can you give us an insight into what they'll be doing if they're selected to come to the rookie camp? Yeah, I mean, there'll be a full week camp, which will be, I guess, putting them through their paces and try and get them up to speed as quick as possible with the game. Uh, the skills involved in the game and also actually some of the sort of insights into how to, like what it means to be a professional here in Australia. I mean, this will be led by Paul um, and Lauren. So they'll have a very much, I guess, a Western Bulldogs uh, spin on what this is going to look like. But I mean, expect to be tested in, I guess, every way you could possibly be tested on a, on an AFL field. But also, actually, some of the, I guess, the education pieces around that as well. Actually, how quickly can you pick up the the subtleties of the game rather than just skills and the, sort of the base things that you'd expect most, uh, I guess, Australian girls to have? Because at the end of the day, if they're going to take a spot of someone that has spent five, six, seven, eight, nine years playing AFL uh, women's crew juniors, they've got to uh, have that ability to learn and learn quick. And the rookie will be selected on the 29th of September. And of course, uh, very important, Jason, they need to be available between November 1st, 2018 and the 31st of March, 2019 to uh, do all the pre-season training and obviously play with the Western Bulldogs. Exactly that. I mean, that's that's a key date for us, as you can imagine, the draft happening um, just after that date as well. So, I mean, there's always a chance that even if uh, they don't make it into the uh, initial uh, rookie spot, there's, there's a chance they might get drafted still off the back of that. And what's the plan actually from that? When, when they're at the rookie camp, is their vision being taken of them? So therefore, whether they personally or you as cross-coders just go, well, here's two or three girls that just missed out, but we're just going to fire them out to all the other clubs to say, if you're looking for a rookie and you're interested. 
I mean, that there's a, there's the possibility of that happening. The vision will be taken of all the girls um, during the process. We will have a, a, a full rundown with the, the Western Bulldogs staff. Um, and then um, just due to our partnership this year, that might be that that stays with the Western Bulldogs for this year. But you never know, right? Absolutely. Again, crosscoders.co for those that uh, want to be involved. Fill out all your details there. Jason, thank you very much again for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we certainly wish you all the very best with the Crosscoders program. Let's hope it's the start of bigger things for women who play the game of Aussie rules outside of Australia. Thank you so much. Time to head across to North America, where the United States Australian Football League Central Regional Tournament was played over the weekend in Nashville, Tennessee. And it's great to have on the line the media manager of the US AFL in Brian Barish. Brian, how are you? I'm sorry, I, I got way too into Nashville, but good day, Peter. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you back, and it's good to hear you haven't melted. Oh, gosh, yes. It was very, very hot. Uh, it, it, and, of course, those of you listening in Australia, it's a winter sport there, but it's a summer sport here. And, of course, that means playing in triple-digit Fahrenheit temperatures. Uh, fortunately, the women only had to play two games each over the course of the weekend, uh, over the course of the day on Saturday. The men had to play three, which uh, made things a little atricious, but... Uh, in spite of the hot conditions, it was a pretty good day of footy on the women's side. So let's explain something before we have a look at this tournament. Um, as much as there's the Western, Eastern and Central tournaments, for a while the women only really played in the Eastern and Western conferences. So how did the idea for the Central Regional for women come about and which teams end up taking part? Well, the idea was is that we wanted this to be across all three regions and the Denver Bulldogs, uh, who had since their inception been part of the Western region, uh, partially so that they could play better uh, competition on the men's side and also partially uh, so that uh, they could help grow uh, footy in the Midwest, agreed to switch from the Westerns to the Central region. So uh, they played in the Central region. It was the first time that they had played. Uh, the Texas Heat side, which was made up uh, on this day mostly of Houston players. In fact, there were a dozen players from the Houston Lone Stars, one player from Dallas, and two players from the Oklahoma Football Club. Uh, they took part, and I'm told that uh, Dallas actually has about five players uh, who they recruited through the Dallas Gales, the Gaelic program. However, the Southwest Regional for the Gaelic uh, uh, football was this weekend. So unfortunately, they were left with one player from Dallas, Joanne Beattie, uh, who represented the Texas Heat. Uh, and then the final of the three in the round robin was what we call the Midwest All-Stars, which made up of six players from Tennessee, including four through the Nashville Kangaroos, which uh, are looking to officially launch their program in the coming weeks. Uh, we had three players come down from Chicago. We had one player, Bronwyn Smith, who is based in Cincinnati, who is uh, played with Columbus. And she told me uh, afterwards on Saturday night that she was going to uh, work with the Cincinnati Dockers to help grow the program as well. And then we had two players come down from Minnesota, from the Minnesota Freeze, uh, in Kate Peterson and Catherine Mullen. Unfortunately, uh, Minnesota was not able to get a full side. As you can see, they only could get two players to commit for the weekend. Uh, but in, 
in, in any event, I think looking at it on paper, a lot of people expected the Denver Lady Bulldogs to, to win, which, of course, they did. They won both games convincingly. But the real story on the weekend was the growth of uh, the smaller programs as we try and grow the women's game. And so the, they all played extremely well, as we'll go through in a few minutes. But that was the big story, was that these clubs that that don't have enough. And Des Moines, I, I unfortunately forgot to mention Emily Rice with the Des Moines Roosters, uh, who played fantastically on the weekend as well. So uh, that was the, the big thing here, was that, uh, you know, not so much Denver winning, but the fact that all of these other clubs uh, played played really well. So let's have a look at that first game featuring the six-time national champions, the Denver Lady Bulldogs, 7-10-52. Too strong for the Texas Heat with just the two behinds. But uh, in spite of all of that, Texas played really, really well throughout the field, uh, throughout up, up and down the field. The one big name, one big rookie name that uh, they were really excited about coming in uh, was Haley Rebar. And Haley Rebar has played rugby. She was a, a starter on the Texas A&M University softball team. She's a catcher. She reminds me a lot of her playing style reminds me a lot of Liz Danielson from the Sacramento Suns and also the USA Freedom women's side. Um, she is uh, that type of player. She's a she's big. Uh, she's taller than Liz. I think Liz is only about 5'9 or 5'10. Uh, but she really used her size. She wasn't afraid of taller uh, Denver forwards such as uh, uh, Caitlin Masher Mace. She was in the rock and performed uh, very well against uh, Hallie Castanek, who ended up walking off with the best and fairest. Uh, I mean, Denver was pretty much all in control. Anna Thexton kicked three goals in this game. Uh, Masher Mace. Uh, who it was engaged not only against Rebar, but also Taylor Ballinger, who uh, is going to the Freedom Camp in Denver uh, later on this summer, uh, played very well in the fullback position. Uh, Aubrey Bagley, who uh, was runner-up in the best and fairest, was awarded the MVP medal. Uh, she had a lot of runs out of the back, and, and my goodness, it's, it's going to be fun to watch her footy career develop. But... Um, by and large, Denver was in control for most of the game, but Texas played them very strongly. And and in spite of the fact that they lost by 50 points, it, it definitely was a, was a good performance on the day for them. Let's go across to the second match of the tournament. The Denver Lady Bulldogs, 8-10-58, uh, defeating the Midwest All-Stars, one behind. And again, they were pretty much in control from start to finish here, but they did have to earn just about every point. Uh, we talk about some of the newer players in this game, and not just the newer players, but newer Americans. And Carson Moore, who was the first player, first women player recruited by the Nashville Kangaroos, uh, I think is one to watch. And it would be good to see and interesting to see if she gets involved in the national team program. She's a tall player, again, about 5'11", 6 feet tall, and uh, very quick, very decisive with the football, very fearless. She wasn't afraid to go in hard at the footy against players like Castanek and Anna Thexton. Uh, uh, and uh, she played extremely well on the day. Uh, the other player that had played well, uh, as I mentioned, Emily Rice from the Des Moines Roosters played fantastically all tournament long. She had a good game and put in a strong effort there. Um, the uh, Again, Denver had 
most of it, especially when you look at uh, when you looked at Castanek uh, uh, in the four, uh, in the midfield. She wasn't as uh, it, I think the the general con- uh, consensus was even though she won best and fair, she wasn't as dominant as she has been in previous tournaments. Anna Thexton played a great tournament. She really had stepped it up. Uh, Bailey Hurtado played well during the course of the day. Uh, but the focus here, of course, was on the all-star players. And, and as I mentioned, Moore had a great game. Laurel Dash, another Nashville player, played fantastically. I think the best player on ground for the all-stars on the day was Tess Maisie, uh, who is based in Melbourne originally and now playing in Chicago. Uh, as I mentioned at the top, three players from Chicago, and they're all Australian. So a good base for them as they help to launch. But, uh, yeah, this game helped really put, put the tournament away for Denver. Uh, the only uh, major injury that they had during the course, and really on, on any of the three sides, was T. Hayden, uh, knee strafe. Uh, used to be T. strafe, but uh, T. Hayden had a, a knee injury, which... Uh, she didn't think it was terribly serious, but it did rule her out for the rest of the for the rest of the uh, tournament. But uh, all in all, convincing win by Denver to to lock up the championship. And the final game of the tournament, I guess it came down to accuracy in the end. Uh, the Texas Heat four straight twenty four, defeating the Midwest All Stars one six twelve. Yeah, and, and there was really one scoring side in this in this game. They were all kicking. Uh, when when you see the broadcast on on YouTube, uh, they were all kicking towards the camera side, uh, which was good for us, obviously, because of the way the, the field was set up. But but uh, the the All Stars had begun the game very quickly, a uh, goal by Emily Rice to put them up uh, early, and they led ten to one at halftime. And the Heat, for all the scoring shots that they got, they really had put the pressure. Uh, on the All-Stars, and uh, really, really good defense there. As we mentioned, Ballinger, she had a lot of the footy. Uh, uh, Bagley was playing in more of a uh, more of a rover role. Uh, she had come back, and she was on the halfback flank a lot of times, or half center halfback, and helping Ballinger out in the fullback position. And she was able to spring players like uh, – like, uh, uh, Eva Tur- uh, Celeste Teroy from Oklahoma, uh, as well as Felicity Harrison and Julia Wells, who played well, uh, both players from Western Australia. But one player who was really, really into this game, she was quiet in the second game against, uh, in the other game against Denver, but had a lot of the football here was Kate Smith, a native of Maryland who was living in, in Texas. Uh, was really impressed with her in this particular game because she, uh, very relentless at the football. She must have had about 15 disposals, which for a shortened game was was really easy to see. In the second half, however, Bagley uh, really took the game over uh, to help create chances. Rebar kicked a goal uh, really out of nothing, uh, a loose play. She just threw it onto the right foot. And if she can get her accuracy down, if she can get her kicking stroke down, uh, as I mentioned, I'm really excited about about young Haley Rebar. I think she could develop into a fantastic player. But like you said, Peter, it did come down to accuracy. Uh, they had kicked four goals in the second half. Those were all their scoring shots, and that's all they needed for a 12-point victory. 
And just a couple of things before we go. Um, just a question without notice. Um, there was another women's game that was played in the USAFL on the weekend. It seems that rivalry is now just starting to build between the uh, Baltimore-Washington uh, Eagles and the New York Magpies. Uh, as we know, the Eagles won in the um, Eastern Regional Tournament, and they actually had a match on the weekend against New York, going down by two points, 2-2-14 to two straight 12. Yeah, that was a really, really good game by all accounts down the road there in Baltimore. And uh, New York actually had had the help of uh, players from Columbus and from Philadelphia as well, because I know there was about half a dozen of the Columbus Cats that were there to help out. But, uh, I mean, all in all, yeah, that's going to hopefully develop into a into a bit of a rivalry. I know that that New York was not happy. They were very disappointed to have come up short in that in that game on the Eastern Regionals. And uh, you know the fact that they now know that they're uh, they now know that they have a player they they have a uh, a side that uh, is going to challenge them now. So it's just a matter of them growing. Uh, the game down there in Baltimore and Washington uh, to to really step up numbers wise and challenge them. But this, again, by all accounts, was a fantastic day, a fantastic game on the East Coast. And, yeah, we'll have to see once we get towards regionals. And I think it, it, it was a good test on the Magpies who have been tested just about all season long. And uh, I think, you know, this is, I think, the third or fourth game this season that they've had where they've won by less, won or lost by less than a goal. So, uh, yeah, fantastic game, and uh, we'll we'll see what happens as we march on during the season. And just quickly, how long have we got to go until the Western Regional Tournament in Sacramento, California? That is a week from this Saturday, so it'll be on the 28th of July. Uh, the, uh, I believe it's the Doc Oliver Field in suburban Sacramento, actually in the outskirts in Davis. California. And uh, just confirming over the next week or so what the schedule is going to be, uh, just kind of offhand, uh, I believe there will be four full teams. Uh, anyway, you slice it. Seattle, as far as I know, are sending a full team. Sacramento and San Francisco, of course, are sending a full team. Uh, I imagine that Portland is sending a full side as well. And then you've got players from Arizona, uh, the Arizona Hawks, who uh, really have helped grow their, grow their women's program over the over the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, you know, uh, there was the whole uh, question as how as they go with the with the splitting of the team into the Hawks and the Outlaws. Um, the Hawks uh, have grown into about 35 players, men and women, over the course of the last few months, which is great to see. So I think they'll be bringing a few women, as will Los Angeles as well. And uh, you saw that uh, Leilani Silvio and Eileen Yoon have been busy. They actually traveled to Denver to compete with the Iron Maidens in their victory over the Denver Lady Bulldogs a couple of weeks ago. So uh, they'll be bringing a few, and Arizona will be. So it should be a great competition. I think it'll be the best of the three, as good as the competition's and the other regionals have been. It should be a fantastic weekend. It'll be just as hot as it was in Nashville. Uh, it'll be, uh, it'll, they're expecting it to hit 100 degrees uh, next weekend as well. So that'll come into play. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens, but it'll be a good day of footy. 
Well, Brian, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks' time to review the Western Regional Tournament. Me too, Peter. Thanks a lot. Well, let's continue with our overseas theme by finding out what happened in Round 9 of the AFL London Women's League. And joining us on the line is Wandsworth Demons and England Vixens coach Mitch Scully. Mitch, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Pete. Last week of uh, home and away season coming up, so it's getting really exciting now. Indeed, indeed. Round 9 just gone in the AFL London Women's League, the second last round. Let's start in the Women's Premiership. And first of all, the North London Lions, 1-6-12 went down to the South East London Giants, 5-7-37. Yeah, so I think that'll go down as the upset of the round. Uh, the fifth-place Giants knocking off the second-place Lions, uh, which really puts the Giants in the box seat to finish fourth now and secure their spot in the finals. Uh, so that's awesome for them. But I think the Lions may not be too concerned because I do know that a large contingent of players for them um, come down from Nottingham, and those girls weren't playing on the weekend. So... In the future games, I'm sure they'll be there. Um, that would have had a bit of an impact on the result. But obviously, yeah, great performance from the Giants. Um, being told for the Giants, Susan Carr in the midfield was best on ground with Alex Umbers having a big impact in the ruck, moving forward and then kicking a goal too. Uh, they were also supported by Tamara Rowe, Isabel Hall and Nikki Lowe in the midfield. Um, we also see for the Lions, Jess Shea, Sally Norman and Koch Faye having really good games with Chiara, the junkyard dog, Palazzo, keeping them in the game down back. Uh, that's what I've been told to mention. That's her nickname now. So, um, yeah, into a tough game with her, I think. Love it, the junkyard dog. Let's have a look at the game at Clapham Common, where the Wandsworth Demon 7-12-54 accounted for the Wimbledon Hawks, who were crispy creams, there were donuts, no score. Yeah, tough day in the office for the Hawks against the top-of-the-table side. Um, which probably means their finals aspirations have taken a big hit too. So uh, from our point of view, the game started off at a really high pace. I think it was, we'd scored 4-5 to nil in the first quarter. Um, after quarter time, the game did slow down a bit. The Hawks sort of put a few numbers behind the ball. Everyone got tired legs because it was 28 degrees on Saturday. Um, and Clapham Common is quite a big ground. So... Yeah, things slowed down a bit after quarter time. Uh, for the Hawks, Bryony Cleal, she played down back this time and was really strong. Uh, Charlie Eels in the midfield battled hard all day to sort of keep them in it. Uh, for the Demons, from our point of view, I think our co-captains, B and Noodles, both had great games. And we were also impressed with uh, Sam McMeekin and Tracy Hamilton because they both played their premiership debuts. Um, now, obviously, uh, for us, the home and away season's finished, so... Yeah, really yeah, couldn't be happier we finished the game, uh, sorry, with, without losing a game. And then we've seen all the other four teams, they'll, they'll play this week. Uh, but I think things will stay the same on the ladder with the Lions, Wildcats, Giants looking pretty set for second, third and fourth. Let's look to the Women's Conference Round 9 played over the weekend and the Wandsworth Demons Reserves, the Clapham Demons, 5-6-36, defeating the Putney Magpies just the one behind. Yeah, that was a great performance by our conference girls. So I'd say that's their best performance of the year, I'd say. Um, their coach, Jimmy, he was back in town, so that was really good. The captain, Jenna Steele, she played a blinder. Uh, and the biggest talking point for us was we had a first gamer, Jessie Watson, who played, played a game on the weekend. Uh, she's a Kiwi from a rugby background. She was quick, tackled hard, kicked a long way. So hopefully she can commit more time over the rest of the season. She could be a really valuable in for the conference team. Uh, for Putney, they put some really good passage of, passages of play together. 
Um, they, they sort of link up really well through the midfield. But I think they're probably relying a bit too heavily on a few, too few players. Uh, and especially when D Kelly went down injured, they sort of fell away a bit. But yeah, it was closer game in the scoreline reflects, I think, just a bit of a lack of quality up forward for the putting probably cost them. And the other result in the uh, women's conference was the London Swans, 9-4-57, defeating the West London Wildcats, 1-2-8. Yeah, Swans really asserting themselves with a big win here over the Cats. Uh, we've seen with the Wildcats sort of, as, as the season's gone on, I think they've, they've dropped away a bit um, due to a few injuries and a few players being unavailable. So Swans really happy uh, with their performance on the weekend and yeah, heading into the final round of four finals. Let's have a look at the fixture heading into Saturday, the 21st of July. On my card, I've only got it as one women's Premier Division game, so I'm not quite sure if that's 100% or not. I've got Wimbledon Hawks versus the North London Lions. It's a Joseph Hood Memorial playing fields. Yeah, that is the first of the games. We do have another one, actually. But yeah, the first of the game will be the Hawks. Um, it is a tough final game for them against the Lions. So that makes their chances of finishing the top four a bit difficult. Um, they'd need to win. They'd also need the other game, which is the Wildcats versus the Giants. Um, they'd need the Cats to get a win there. So, yeah, it's going to be tough for the Hawks. And I'd say if the Lions get their sort of Nottingham crew back in the side this week, it's going to be tough. I reckon the Lions will probably come away with a win. Uh, and the other game, which yeah, I noticed it wasn't on one of the fixtures for some reason, it's West London Wildcats hosting the South East London Giants. Uh, so that game, it's third versus fourth. And more than likely, these two top sides will be back on the same ground a week later for the qualifying final. So it's an interesting game to see how they play it. Uh, at their best, the Wildcats are a really strong side, however, seem to have sort of faded away a bit. Uh, meanwhile, last season's runner-up, the Giants, have sort of been the sleeping Giants this season. They've seemed to have woken up over the past couple of weeks. Uh, two games on the trot now they've won. Their percentage is lifted. So they're, they're sitting in fourth and we're pretty confident they can hold that spot. And I won't be surprised if they knock off the third-place Wildcats this week either. And having a look at the two women's conference division games, you've got at 11.30am at Hackney Marshes, uh, the London Swans versus the Clapham Demons, otherwise known as the West Wandsworth Demons Reserves. And the other game, the Putney Magpies versus the West London Wildcats Reserves at Richard Evans Memorial Playing Fields. Yeah, so this is a really exciting weekend. So at the start of the season, AFL London opted to go for a three-team finals format for this uh, division, which is fair enough because there's only four sides in the league. However, we've basically ended up with the top two playing a qualifying final and the bottom two playing a knockout final in the last round of the home and away season. So it's, it's going to be really exciting. So if we look at the Swans versus Demons, they're both on six wins with two losses and they're separated by only 4%. So... Couldn't get much tighter. Uh, the Demons just on top at the moment. Now, in round two, they played, and the Swans won by three points. In round five, they played. The Demons won by two points. Last time they met, uh, sorry, last season they met three times with margins of two points and a draw and one other game where the Swans touched up the Demons. So in the five times they've previously met, three of the games have been decided by less than three points. And this weekend, there's a grand final spot on the line. So, yeah, I'm just can't, I'll, I'll be watching that game just as an interested onlooker. And I think it's going to be absolute classic out of Hackney Marshes. Well, Mitch, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week when we review the final round 
of the AFL London Women's League and look forward to finals action. Yeah, great. Can't wait to speak next week. Thanks, Peter. Time for our State Leagues Wrap to find out all the scores and news from across Australia. First of all, we're going to head out to the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division and she's back from her trip to the USA. We've got Lauren Hodgson on the line. Lauren, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Peter. It's uh, yeah, good to be back. The The holiday was good, but um, yeah, time certainly goes quick and uh, certainly back into the swing of things now. I heard you went to Vegas. Did you take my advice? Bet all on red. <laughs> yeah, certainly went to Vegas. Um. Had a little bit of a flutter, but probably smart enough not to uh, spend money that I, I can't afford to lose, but still had a good time. Now, we know that last week there was a bind, the AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division, so this gives us the ideal opportunity with five rounds to go to take a look at the ladder. Let's begin by having a look at uh, the bottom three where there's a log jam. Yeah, I mean, look, it's the most, even the comp's been, um, well, you know, I, I think for, for many years to um Peter, on the bottom we've got uh, Breakaways are in eighth, Shamrocks seventh, and uh, Sydney Uni on sixth. They're all on uh, three three wins apiece, and even their percentage is quite close. I mean, Breakaways are on the bottom with 62, uh, Shamrocks are then on 65, and uh, Sydney Uni on 69. So, um, but I mean, you look at Southern Power in fourth, so fourth down to eight, no one's got above 70%. So, um, definitely a gap in scoring prowess there. And it's amazing to think what just a handful of years ago the Sydney Uni Bombers and Newtown Breakaways were playing in a grand final. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, they were, you know, near untouchable Sydney Uni for a couple of years. I mean, I think they had a, I think they might have had an undefeated run um, in one of their grand final wins as well. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, amazing to think, as you said, how, how quickly things can change. The team in fifth spot's got a bit of work to do if they want to try and jump into the top four. Yeah, look, I think it's going to be fairly hard for the Wolves. Um, I mean, look, they've only won four games to date, although they have been playing, I think, a lot better the last probably four or five rounds. Um, but they're two games out of the eight and sort of, you know, a bit over seven percentage points behind the power. Um, but I think four out of their, their five games um, over against teams are above them on the ladder. So it's going to be um, really hard work for the Wolves to... Um, to move into fourth spot, I think. The team in fourth, who's been used to in uh, recent history getting a few touch-ups, uh, must be enjoying where they are at the moment with a 6-6 six and six record, the Southern Power. Yeah, so Power have had an interesting season. They've had a, a, a couple of wins against, um, you know, sides they haven't beaten before, like Newtown Breakaways. Um, but then they've probably lost a couple of games that I think they themselves would have expected to win. Um you know, their, their contests against the Shamrocks, I think they would have gone in on paper favourites, um, but the Shamrocks absolutely belted them the last time they played. Um, and they also lost a close one to uh, Auburn Penrith, um, sort of, you know, on the siren or after the siren uh, not that long ago. So they've had a, a bit of an up-and-down season, but given they've got that two-game break on the Wolves, and uh, I think they two out of their five games... Um, are against teams below them. I think they might just scrape into fourth spot there. Looking at sides two and three, now, theoretically, they could be uh, tied with the Western Wolves. If the Wolves were to win all five and they were to lose all five, but their percentage is so far superior, they should be locked into the top four and having finals football. We speak of first, the merge side, the Auburn Penrith Giants. Yeah, look, Auburn Penrith have had um, another great year. They made finals for the first time in Premier Division last season. Um, yeah, you know, like you said, it's mathematically possible, but I don't think realistically it's a chance for them to drop 
out of the four, and um, and I'll think they'll they'll stay in third whilst they're on the same amount of points. Um, UNSW have a far greater percentage, so I think yeah, Auburn Penrith um have locked in third. And uh, beware the beast that is the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs, formerly known as the Stingrays, just sitting there second, poised, looking at another flag. Yeah, look, they're, they're quite well positioned. Um, their percentage is uh, well, still significantly better than Mac Uni, who are in top spot, but they are two games behind Mac Uni. Um, but I don't think that's going to bother bother them going into finals. Um, they'll still get the double chance finishing second. Um yeah, so I think it's shaping up to be a yeah a, a good final series. And finally, all the pieces of the puzzle have come together for Macquarie Uni, an eleven and one record sitting at the top of the table. Yeah, look, they've had an outstanding season in Premier Division. Um, you know, un- unlucky to lose in their in their game against the Giants. Um, but you know, I think now they get all their players back from um, you know the the Giants Academy games and and people going on holidays and. And that kind of thing that you still get in sort of community footy, um, especially up in Sydney. So, uh, look, I, I think the Mac Uni, I, I think they'll finish on top. Um, and I think it'll, uh, I think it'll, it'll be a tight final series and expecting to see them against, uh, the, the Bulldogs, um, on, uh, yeah, on grand final day. Let's have a look at the round 13 fixture for this weekend. All games on Saturday, the 21st of July. Your tips, Lauren. Let's begin. 11.40am at Marnie Park. Newtown Breakaways versus the UNSW Eastern Suburbs Bulldogs. Yeah, look, I think it'll be a probably a fairly competitive game. Um, I think UNSW, though, will, will take the win and they'll probably um, sort of, uh, pardon the pun, break away a bit uh, in the second half. 1.45pm at Mona Park, the Auburn Penrith Giants host the Western Wolves. Yeah, look, this is going to be a really interesting one. Obviously, Wolves know that they're, they're still in with that chance of um, of making finals. Uh, so they would see this is a good chance to get a win against a team that's above them on the ladder. Um, so I expect it to be a, a really tight tight contest. Um, but I, I think the uh, the Giants will end up winning in another close one. 2.30pm at Sydney Uni, number one oval. Sydney Uni Bombers host the UTS Shamrocks. Yeah, well, I mean, look, sixth and seventh on the, on the ladder, so it's not exactly a, a blockbuster, but I think it'll be, um, um, yeah, another close one. Uh, and while Shamrocks have only won three games this year and, and two of them are against the, the same side in the power, um, I'm thinking they're going to have a win over uh, Sydney Uni this time. And finally, the top four battle at Waratah Oval, 2.30pm, Southern Power host Macquarie University. Uh, look, I am tipping the uni here, um, but I, I think, uh, I mean, I think a lot of them are going to be close this week as we, we get closer to finals and teams are still a chance. Um, but I think Power um, will be will be playing quite, um, you know, quite defensive, um, knowing that, you know, they, they are close on percentage to the Wolves um, so I, I don't think they're, they're going to let Mac Uni score in a free-flowing way. Um, but, yeah, still predicting a Uni win there. Well, Lauren, thank you very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. And we look forward to catching up with you next week as we review another round of AFL Sydney Women's Premier Division. Yeah, look, thanks for having me uh, back on the program and always happy to uh, chat about footy and looking forward to next week.
There was also a buy round for the WAWFL as they had their North versus South All-Star game. So let's take a look at how the ladder currently sits in the league competition after 13 rounds. East Fremantle and Peel Thunderbirds, the top two teams, both sitting on 12 wins and the one loss. Swan District's in third on a 9-3-1 and one record. Yep, they've got that one drawer in there. West Perth sitting fourth on a 6-7 and seven record. Subiaco, the former Coastal Titans, sitting with a 5-8. and eight. In sixth, Claremont with a 4-8-1 record. Perth Angels with a 2-11 and 11 record in 7th. South Fremantle with a 1-12 and 12 record in 8th position, holding up the ladder. Let's have a look to round 14 fixtures in the WAWFL League Division. All games on Sunday 2pm at Bendigo Bank Stadium. Peel Thunderbirds host South Fremantle. 2pm at East Fremantle Oval. The East Frio Sharks host Claremont. 2pm at Joondalup Arena. West Perth host Swan Districts. And at Harmony Fields at 2.30pm Perth Angels host Subiaco. Across the Adelaide Footy League uh, Division 1 competition for women after 11 rounds, the ladder looks like this. Morpherville Park sitting on top of the table with a 10-2 and two record. Christie's Beach second with an 8-4. and four. Salisbury sitting third with a 7-5. and five. Adelaide Uni fourth with a 7-5 and five record. Fitzroy, the former West Adelaide, sitting in fifth with a four and eight record, while Port Adelaide are winless in sixth position. Looking at those results from round 12, Adelaide Uni 3-8-26 were defeated by Morpherville Park in a thriller 4-3-27. Fitzroy 4-16-40 went down to Christie's Beach 7-3-45, while Port Adelaide 2-5-17. No match for Salisbury 16-12. 108. Round 13 fixtures for this weekend. Friday night football, 8.15pm at University Oval, Adelaide Uni, host Christie's Beach. Sunday games, two of them, both starting at 3pm at Callet Reserve, Morpville Park, host Salisbury, whilst at Portland, Port Adelaide, host Fitzroy. Time to find out what's been happening in the QWAFL and joining us on the line from Queensland, a premiership coach with Coolangatta Tweed, it's Aaron Russell. Aaron, how are you? Oh, Peter, had a few upset rounds on the weekend, so a bit entertaining up here uh, in that respect. Um uh, well, I'm sure we'll get, a, get to those in a minute, mate. How are you? Mate, absolutely sensational after seeing all these results and the carnage that it's created for the ladder. Let's begin, first of all, with the early morning game that was at Bond University. Cullen Gatta-Tweed, we thought, were flying along and, and uh, all systems go. Went down to Bond University, 5-4-34 to 1-5-11. And here's a little piece of information. Cullen Gatta-Tweed's total score was outdone by an American. Katrina Shearer from the Columbus Cats kicking three goals for Bond University. Yeah, stole my thunder there, Peter. No, she did. Um, that'll obviously please uh, a few onlookers and anyone looking to cross code or come in from from international. I know that there's a there's a few that are that are interested in that, and um, yeah, it's great great news for her. Um, and and yeah, good win for for Bond on the weekend. Um, you know, mind you, um, definitely worth noting that the uh, Winter Series and Under-18s Carnival is going on at the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously saw Cooley quite depleted on that end. Um, and the likes of, of Wilson and, uh, and UQ uh, as well. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that game in a minute. Uh, but yeah, Bond, um, got over in this. This was a must win for them. They needed to win this game to stay in the hunt for the finals, um, and they've done themselves no harm in that at all. So this has actually put them back um, in, well and truly in, in the race, and it's going to make it all that much harder for 
for UQ. So um, at the moment, it's basically between uh, Yoronga, Bond, and UQ for that last spot. Um, although Cooley losing this game, um, you'd think they're still going to make it in for that third position, but uh, they, they'd want to chalk up um, a, a win or two over the next coming weeks. Let's go to Giffen Park. 4.45pm uh, was the game between Cooperoo and Yoronga South Brisbane. It turned into be a nail-biter with the Devils 4.9.33 knocking off the Kings 4.5.29. Yeah, too right. Uh, another uh, upset in terms of uh, where these teams are situated on the ladder. Um, you, both sides missing players. Uh, Yoronga missing uh, a few to the under-18 series, a couple to the winner series. Um, Cooperoo, on the other hand, um, most of their under-18s are injured. They were missing one or two, but they were missing quite a host um, to the winner series, a substantial host. Um, and, uh, yeah, made for, for a, a very tight contest, as you say. Um, got up by less than a goal, uh, Yoronga, and that's kept them in the hunt as well to defend their premiership title. They now sit fourth on the ladder. Um and, yeah, we almost were riding them off a, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, great. That, that's good news for them. Um, see how, how they can, if they can maintain that over the next couple of weeks and, and hold on, hang on to that last spot. It's going to be really tight. And what will be tough for Cooper is they'll be missing Emma Zilke coming into the finals who uh, broke her fibula during the Winter Series game for the Lions. Yeah, not a not not a great result for Cooper. Um, it's really unfortunate, actually. They've had um, not not a uh, not a fair run with injury this year. Um, they did manage to get Sally Young back out on the park after a, another knee reco. But um, yeah, Zilke now going down. Pete, as you say, um, lost two of their young stars in Talia Hickey um, uh, and Tania White. So yeah, not not great news for for Cooper um, in their hunt to um, for a second grand final berth. Um, uh, and back up last year's effort. I feel like I need to apologise to Laura Kidd. I had her on the show last week, pumped her up, asking the question, could they be premiers and champions and go through the season undefeated? The game after that interview, they get knocked off by the UQ Red Lions. <laughs> University of Queensland 6-8-44, defeating the Wilston Grange Gorillas 4-2-26. Yeah, look, uh, a massive upset. Um, you know, I think I tipped UQ to make that fourth spot, and I, I think if... There's any side that's going to um, worry Wilson. Um, it is going to be uh, UQ with with all their players and a clean clean sheet um, with injuries. It, it's going to be them. Um, obviously, definitely worth noting that Wilson were missing an absolute host. Um, in fact, an army of of players uh, on the weekend. But if you look on the other side of the coin, UQ will be quick to tell you that. Uh, they were almost also missing um, quite a substantial amount of, of quality um, from their list. I think it would probably look to be fairly even, but UQ obviously had a lot more to play for on the weekend um, for that last four spot. Uh, it's definitely going to be a totally different looking uh, sides and game um, if those two were to meet in the finals. But this is that's the win that UQ needed to stay in touch, especially with Bond and Yoronga registering their upset victories on the weekend. Um, I still hold high hopes for, for UQ to make the finals, actually looking at the remaining draws. Um, but we'll get to next round in a second. Morichidor having the bye there. Round 15, boy, a bunch of interesting matches all on Saturday, July 21st. First of all, 1pm at Bendigo Bank over. Wilston Grange play host to Coolangatta Tweed. Yeah, look, both teams after uh, coming off the back of a defeat um, last week 
against a, a, um, a, a, some less depleted opposition. Um, we'll be looking to get back on the, the, the winner's circle. Um, Wilson, you know, been been tough opposition for everyone uh, so far this year. Um, only dropping their first game uh, on the weekend. So I think they'll be really, really difficult um, with Cooley. Um, I really like to see them uh, get back to sort of that, that the way that they were playing at the start of the year. And I think that's that's what they've got to do if they're going to be any chance. Um, they really they ran really hard. Um, they they spread well. Uh, I think that's what they've got to do coming into the finals. Um, Wilson, uh, pack pack with stars. I think probably the worst thing that could happen to Wilson, I think this time of the year, is uh, is injury. So they're going to be think, looking to keep their side pretty healthy. Um, while some other sides are, are suffering around them. So I think them, they might be looking to manage a couple of players uh, over the, the coming weeks, um, coming into finals. Um, but I think they may be too strong um, and they will be out to to uh, to get up a win here against at home against Cooley on the weekend. 3.45pm at Leishon Park, UQ host Yoronga South Brisbane. Yeah, uh, ma- massive game actually. This is uh, a must-win for both sides. Um, Yoronga currently uh, holding that fourth spot down. UQ in six, but not much separating these two. Um, they've they've both got to win. Uh, Bond obviously is going to be playing Maruchi. Well, we'll get that in a second. Um, you'd expect them to win at home. Um, whoever, whoever, if UQ wins this, they come up to the same points as Yoronga. Yoronga win it, they get a game clear. Um, and then also uh, it makes it very, almost impossible for UQ to win it. So they really need to win this game to stay in. Um, a win here from Yoronga, however, on the other hand, um, will do their chances no harm in making the finals. Um, this will be a cracker, probably the match of the round, really. Both sides have got probably the most to play for at any team's um, in, in the round, so it's going to be a cracker game down at UQ. Uh, sorry, Yoronga, this game is. Yes, at uh, at Leishon Park Oval, that game's being played at. 4.45pm at Subaru Oval Broadbeach, Bond University, play host to Maroochydore. North Coast versus South Coast. Uh, game is at Bond. Um, I think they will be relishing the chance of getting a victory here. They will be uh, high spirits after the win on the weekend. They'll be really thinking they can make a, a, a run here for the finals um, in their first season, which would be fantastic for, for Bond to do that. Um, I think they'll be too strong for Maruchidor, uh, and um, it's a re- really a lot more to play for as well uh, than, than Maruchidor. So their, their finals hopes are on the line here. Um, they're currently equal points with Yuronga, um, only just uh, six points, mind you, better percentage uh, do Yuronga have than Bond. So... Percent, this could be a really important game for Bond to get a fair few goals clear, um, defend really well, not concede too many points uh, so they can um, get a few more points chalked up, uh, increase their percentage. It could come down to that uh, at the end of the year. Um, UQ, mind you, worth noting, are 30 points uh, better percentage than both that of Yuronga and Bond. So um, those sides need to be a game clearer of UQ if they're to make it as well which they are currently, but they need to keep winning. Cooperoo there with the bye. Aaron, thanks very much for joining us here on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We look forward to catching up with you next week as we review round 15 of the QWAFL. Thanks, Pete. Checking out what's been happening in the AFL Canberra First Grade Women's Competition. We look at the ladder at the moment after 11 rounds and Belconnen uh, sitting on top with an 11-and-zip record, undefeated 
and a percentage of 493.63. In second spot is Eastlake with an 8 and 3 record. Quimby in a third with a 7 and 4. Gungarlan a fourth with a 3 and 8. Well, Ainsley and Tuggeranong are separated by percentage for fifth and sixth, both with a 2 and 9 record. Having a look at uh, what did happen in round 11, Quimby in 7.850 beat Eastlake 3.523. Gungarlan 7.1153 defeated Tuggeranong one behind, while Ainsley 139 went down to Balconnen 10.1272. Looking ahead to round 12 action uh, this weekend, Friday night football, 6.30pm at Kingston Oval as Eastlake host Ainsley. Saturday at 10am, Adero Law Nest, Balconnen host Gungarlan, while 11.30am on Sunday, Greenway Oval, Tuggeranong host Quimbian. Going across to Tasmania for their state league competition. And the ladder looks like this out of the five sides. Uh, Glenorchy uh, currently sitting in first spot after playing 10 games with a 9-1 and one record. Clarence have played nine games. They sit second with a 7-2 and two record. Launceston have played 10 games. They sit third with a 6-4. and four. Bernie sit fourth playing nine games with a 1-8 and eight record. While the Tigers uh, take up the bottom of the table playing 10 games with a 1-9 and nine record. Results from the weekend, Bernie Nose score went down to Launceston 2012-132, while Glenorchy 12-17-89 defeated the Tigers 2-2-14. Looking ahead to round 13 action, both games on Sunday, both starting at 12pm. Uh, Clarence take on Glenorchy at Jolston Bay Oval, while at Twin Ovals, the Tigers host Bernie Launceston with the bye. Time to find out what's been happening in the Swiss Wellness VFL Women's Competition. And joining us on the line, the B2 out of our P1 and B2 combination is Lucy Watkin calling the last couple of games of VFL Women's Action. It's great to have on the line Matthew Cox. Coxie, how are you? Thank you, Pete. It's the second week in a row you've given me... Uh... The, the B2 tag. I don't mind it at the moment, actually, because it means you're not behind a microphone on a weekend, so all, all is well. I've been gagged. World. I've been gagged. <laughs> some people might say that's a good thing. <laughs> yes. Uh, hello to some certain individuals that play AFLW who would like that. Um, let's, <laughs> let's have a look at what happened in the VFL Women's Competition Round 10 over the weekend. We start with a game where, of two sides that met at the same ground back in Round 1. They meet again uh, at Preston City Oval. Darabin versus the NT Thunder, and it was the Thunder 40-point winners. Yeah, and pretty comprehensive too. They kicked away early in the first term, 3-2 to nothing. Uh, Darabin did get a minor score before the main break, but uh, their only goal came in the final term. Northern Territory Thunder were dominant again after a, a few weeks where they recorded their two losses. They seem to now be back on track and um, winning by decent margins again and boosting their percentage, which is going to be incredibly important as we head, head towards the back half of the home and away season. Their goal kickers on the weekend, Holmes kicked four, Hickey, Hewitt and Sedundry, the other goal kickers, while Dieta was the only goal scorer for the Darabin Falcons. Racking up the touches on the weekend, Elise O'Day, 23, and also laid three tackles. The next one on the list is a former Darabin player. She's now playing with the Northern Territory Thunder, of course, listed with the Adelaide Crows and the AFLW. AFLW. Ebony Marinoff uh, made her return to the VFLW on the weekend. She racked up 21 touches and laid a monster 18 tackles for the Northern Territory Thunder on the weekend. A nice little welcome back for Ebony Marinoff. With that result... 
combined with the next game, a little gap has opened up between fourth and fifth on the ladder. Geelong, 8-7-55, defeating the Southern Saints, 2-5-17 at Deakin University. Yeah, Geelong bouncing back in this one. They've, they're another side that's had a little bit of a dip in the last couple of weeks, uh, a couple of losses, one against the Bulldogs and then against the Northern Territory Thunder. They needed to bounce back this week and they were able to do just that. The Southern Saints coming off a difficult game at Casey Fields the week prior. We heard about how the conditions out there were, were very tough, so would have made uh, the Southern Saints, I'm assuming it would have made them a little more fatigued, even though Geelong were coming off the trip to Darwin. Um, but the Cats uh, were like a well-oiled machine once again, and uh, nice to see them hit a little bit of form. Their goal kickers on the weekend, Kate Darby kicked two, Matty Boyd kicked one, Birchall, Clifford, Kerrick and Trevine, the other goal kickers. And the last name on the goal-kicking list was Jordan Ivey, who made her return to the Cats' side after missing about 15 months of football, I believe, recovering from injury. So great to have her back out on the park and uh, no doubt will play a role in this Cats' side going forward. The goal-kickers for the Southern Saints, Bahana kicked one and Munn kicked the other goal for them. Leading disposal getters on the ground in this game, Rochelle Cranston continues her, her impressive season. She racked up 29 touches on the weekend. For the Southern Saints, it was Alison Drennan who racked up 27 touches and laid six tackles for the Southern Saints. One of their only shining lights coming out of this game down at uh, Deakin University. And oh my, how one player can make a difference. Carlton, 8-4-52, defeating Weemstown, 3-5-23. Ironic, isn't it? Uh, Carlton's good performances have come when Darcy Vessio's been in the side and their poor performances have come when she hasn't been. So nice welcome back for Carlton on the weekend. Darcy Vessio kicking half their majors, kicking four goals on the weekend. Cox kicks two. Vesely and Harvey, the other goal kickers for them on the weekend. And they really put Williamstown to to the sword after a good couple of weeks for the Seagulls where they were competitive against Darabin and Box uh, against Hawthorne out of Box Hill. Uh, they've just uh, struggled a little bit on the weekend and Carlton uh, were able to run home uh, comprehensive victors in the end. Williamstown only getting a goal till half time and then uh, managed to get two more. Whiting kicked two while Brutton uh, kicked the other goal. And uh, she continues her impressive season, Jenna Brutton, for the Seagulls. She racked up 29 touches again on the weekend for Williamstown. Uh, the leading disposal getter on the ground was Jeff Stuffin, though, racking up 33 touches and seven tackles. The leading uh, disposal getter on the ground for Carlton was Dalton. Only got 16 touches, which... Again, goes to the theory that perhaps Williamstown had a couple of standout players that were working incredibly hard, but Carlton were a more even side, even though they had one standout player back on the park. It was a bit closer than the Western Bulldogs would have liked. Uh, the Doggies 5-5-35, defeating Essendon 4-5-29. Yeah, Essendon have found a little bit of form in the last couple of weeks. They uh, won against Richmond the week prior at Windy Hill and came into this game with a fair bit of confidence and they seem to be moving the magnets around a little bit more. Uh, Notice Lauren Warcroft's popped up on the 
goal kicking sheet again this week with a goal. And Tanya Hetherington also kicked a goal in uh, the Bombers' loss. Valerie Moreau kicked the other two for them. The Western Bulldogs goal kickers, Michaelia Ward kicked two goals. She's uh, been a little shining light in the last couple of weeks, or pretty much since uh, this run of form for the Bulldogs. Um, she's uh, kicked uh, a number of their goals, so she's putting together a nice little patch. Ellie Blackburn, Scott and Deanna Berry were the other goal kickers for the Western Bulldogs on the weekend. It was fairly even. In fact, the Bombers were in front by two points at three-quarter time. The Western Bulldogs getting over the line, kicking the only major of the final term to give them a little bit of a buffer. But positive signs for the Bombers. They look like they've worked out their forward line issues. And ironically, it was a defender that's helped play a role with Lauren Warcroft looking like she's beginning to straighten them up and provide a decent target inside attacking 50. For a number of weeks now, Hawthorne have had the wobbles, but somehow have managed to drag themselves over the line. And they did so against Melbourne Uni, who came back at them late. Hawthorne, 3-10-28 victors over Melbourne Uni, 3-4-22. Yeah, this was a weird old game at uh, Tin Alley on the weekend, our, our broadcast game. And it was a real tight, contested tussle for the first half. Uh, there was only, what's that, three goals. It was kicked in the first half, 2-2, 14 Hawthorne to one straight six Melbourne University. In the third term, it opened up a little bit. Hawthorne had a number of scoring opportunities. In fact, they had uh, they had eight scoring opportunities, but were only able to kick one goal out of that and ended up with 3-9 at the conclusion of the third quarter. Melbourne University was able to get two goals on the board, but... It just seems as though when, uh, even though you're going through a little bit of a, not a great patch for the Hawks, they, they're ticking along, they're going through the motions, just getting the job done. And to be honest, they, they probably don't need to. They, they I came into yesterday's game thinking they needed to make a, a statement to the rest of the competition just to send a signal to say, hey, we're still here. But you just feel, I know they're, they're heading towards the bye this week as well, but it just feels like they're, they're doing what they need to do now in preparation for a big run home towards finals. And um, Melbourne Uni, on the other hand, um, positive signs. They were a lot better than when I last saw them up at Queen Elizabeth Oval in Bendigo against Richmond. They had a bit of flow. Kate Gillespie-Jones was vital for them off half-back. She kept uh, providing clearing long kicks. It was just unfortunate that there was no one sitting underneath them uh, often for Melbourne University and it was heading straight back for Hawthorne. But much better signs uh, for the Muggers, although uh, I think you can just about put a line through uh, any chance they can make finals now. It's going to be a long road and They've got to have a lot of things go right for them if they want to play a part in September. Goal kickers in this game, Melbourne Uni, Greaser kicked one, Angelus kicked one, and Keeney was the other goal kicker. Whilst for Hawthorne, Cormac, Beeson and Gilder were the goal kickers on the weekend for the Hawks. It's weird that only six goals were scored all up, um, but it was just that sort of a game. It was a funny old game at Tin Alley. The Demons probably breathed life into their slim finals chances and at the same time sabotaged the Tigers. Casey Demons 5-9-39 over Richmond 2-9-21. 
Yeah, a bit of an upset in uh, my books for this one. Casey getting over the top of Richmond, who played Queen Elizabeth Oval really, really well when we saw them against the Muggers a couple of weeks ago. And they had scoring option opportunities in the opening term. They kicked four behinds to nil uh, in the first quarter. Uh, Casey, though, responded eight scoring shots in the second term and probably should have led by a bit more, considering they had only kicked two six up until half time. And uh, it was Richmond by a point at three quarter time. So they tussled uh, their, their way into the game again, the Tigers. But in the end, Casey ran over the top. And just looking at that score sheet, I wonder whether wind was a factor up at Queen Elizabeth Oval on the weekend, because it seems as though one end was certainly the scoring end on the weekend up there. Goal kickers in this game for the Demons. Guttridge kicked two, Zanka kicked two, and uh, Darcy Guttridge was the other goal kickers. A couple of Guttridges in the side for the Casey Demons. Lawrence Riero and Damon were the goal kickers on the weekend for the Richmond Tigers. But as you said, it's uh, Casey that are just keeping their season ticking along. Uh, they they started slowly. We know they had a couple of eyes thrown in there as well, but they seem to be working a lot better and getting some experience back into that side helps them as well. They're like the Western Bulldogs at the moment. If they can hold things together over the next couple of weeks and a couple of results go their way, then anything might happen come the end of the season. Leading disposal getters in this game, Laurentissa Riero racked up 25 touches and laid nine tackles for the Tigers, while Sheriff was the leading disposal getter on the ground for the Demons with 21. And, of course, Collingwood have the bye. Let's have a look to round 11 action. And on Saturday, 21st of July, 11.30am at Williamstown Football Ground, otherwise known as Point Jollybrand, the Seagulls host the Western Bulldogs. We caught these two teams in the match of the day about a month ago when the Bulldogs won comfortably. Yeah, and wasn't really expected at that point in time. The Bulldogs and Seagulls were about equal on the ladder and uh, the Bulldogs were searching for their first victory of, of the year. Since then, the Bulldogs have been able to run away with it. Williamstown uh, that day didn't look competitive. They, uh, they looked like they relied too heavily on a couple of players. Gathering from uh, the disposal getters and uh, the result on the weekend, you suggest maybe they fell back into those bad habits. But if they can capture the form that they had against Hawthorne and Darabin, then they might be able to throw a little bit at the Western Bulldogs, who no doubt will be hoping for another big win. And I think they'll be able to get it. Western Bulldogs too strong for Williamstown. Bill Laurie Oval, Saturday 21st July at 12pm. It's Darabin versus Essendon. Falcons must win to stay in touch with the top four, currently sitting in fifth, six points out. But they come up against a tricky Essendon side, as we saw, push the Bulldogs and beat Richmond. Who knows what might happen? Yeah, got a feeling. Darabin, I've uh, been saying this for a couple of weeks now, Darabin needs to win this game and win it comfortably if they do want to be a threat towards uh, the end of the season, not just to make top four, but just to, to throw it out to the other contenders that they are the reigning premiers and they deserve to be there. Essendon is going to be tricky to overcome. Bill Laurie Oval, Darabin know how to play that ground pretty well. So going with the Falcons, uh, but I reckon Essendon, like they have the last last weekend and the week prior beating Richmond, I think they should be able to push Darabin and it won't be an easy victory. 
at the Swinburne Centre, otherwise known as Punt Road Oval, Saturday 21st, July 12pm, Richmond play host to the NT Thunder. Interesting game, this one. You'd expect the Northern Territory to win comfortably, but they are backing up two weeks on a ru- in a row that they're on the road, uh, returning to Victoria after playing Darabin last week at Preston. They head to Punt Road to take on the Tigers, who I think will be a little bit bitter and twisted. A couple of losses that they didn't expect to have in the last couple of weeks. They're back on their home deck. I'd be expecting them to put in a good performance, but... Northern Territory just have too many stars in their side with a lot of experience, so I'll be tipping the thunder in this one. The game with a lot of implications on the finals. Geelong versus Casey, Saturday 21st of July, 1pm at Queen's Park in Geelong. Note the ground change, not at St Mary's anymore, now at Queen's Park in Geelong. Geelong win, they just start to keep that gap there on the sides of the 5th and 6th. They lose and it's game on for at least three or four sides trying to make it. Including the one that is their opponent on the weekend in the KC Demons, a loss for the Demons, and it's going to make things pretty hard for them to to make September action. But uh, the other way around, a a loss for Geelong, as you said, keeps the door ajar for all those sides that are pushing to, to make it after sluggish starts to the season. I reckon this is going to be a ripping game. I think Casey have got a good side together. They're, they're gelling very well. Geelong, I'm just, I, I don't trust them at the moment. I know they had a good result on the weekend against the Southern Saints, but uh, I just can't put all my faith in them at the moment. And I reckon Casey uh, probably a little bit more hungrier in, to, to win this game. So I'm going to tip an upset. I'm going for the Casey Demons. Sunday, 22nd of July, 12pm at Rams Arena, Craigieburn. Carlton versus Collingwood. These two sides played less than a month ago. We called that game. We saw a comfortable victory for Collingwood. But what's intriguing is that game didn't have Darcy Vesio. She should be back, as we said, played last week. Should be, again, playing this week. So she changes the dynamic of Carlton. Collingwood coming off a bye. We know Christy Williams loves that stat about sides failing when they come back from the bye. If there was at any stage the Magpies might be vulnerable, this might be the game. Yeah, and out at Rams Arena too, if it's a windy day out there, it could cause havoc on Sunday afternoon. This will be a a real tight tussle, uh, I think. Uh, I agree with you. I think um, Darcy Vessier adds uh, an extra dynamic to uh, the Carlton side, obviously being able to score goals, but just... Uh, creating something inside attacking 50 for them. Collingwood should have the defenders to be able to to cover that, and they're well-balanced across the rest of the ground. I reckon Collingwood will get up, but I think it will be under two goals. I think uh, Carlton can really push them in this one. And finally, our RSN Carnival match of the day. We're on air at 2pm for a 3pm bounce down. Sunday, 22nd of July, Skybus Stadium, otherwise known as Frankston Oval, the Southern Saints versus Melbourne Uni. Uni is shot. They can't make the finals as far as I can see. The Southern Saints, they win this one. Their slim chances are just alive. Yeah, an intriguing game, this one. Obviously, down at Frankston Oval, we know the wind can also play havoc at that ground. And 
we know the Southern Saints have uh, <laughs> made very uh, handy victories uh, in the early part of the season in a couple of games down there. They knew how to read the wind well, so whether they can use that to advantage, if indeed it is windy on Sunday afternoon. I'm tempted to, to again tip the muggers. I know that tip didn't come off on the weekend, but I, I just saw something on the weekend that that they look like they're beginning to click. They seem to have a much bigger focus on developing players rather than uh, the, the win-loss ratio. We know they're aiming towards the North Melbourne program for 2019 in the AFLW, but I just got the feeling that they, they sensed an opportunity on the weekend. They just cut off short, so whether they've got the desire to go again against a uh, Southern Saints side who will be looking to bounce back after two poor games in a row. Um, this, this is a real real interesting one. I'm going for the muggers, but uh, it's not a confident tip. I reckon the Southern Saints are certainly a chance in this game. And ladder leaders Hawthorne with the bye. Coxie, thanks very much for joining us here on RSN Carnival's Women's Australian Rules Football. And we look forward to hearing from you uh, this Sunday from 2pm as we present the Southern Saints versus Melbourne Uni right here on RSN Carnival. Yeah, looking forward to it. As I said, should be an intriguing game with uh, a lot of young talent in both sides. So looking forward to seeing how the Southern Saints go up against the Muggers and obviously the, the other games which make for another big round of Swiss Wellness VFL women's action. Just a friendly reminder that this program is available as a podcast on Thursday mornings by going to SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching for Women's Australian Rules Football Radio or you can hear it first as a radio program Wednesday evening 6pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on RSN Carnival. That's Digital Radio in Melbourne, the RSN Racing and Sport app at rsn.net.au. And don't forget our VFL Women's Match of the Day this Sunday from 2pm, the Southern Saints versus Melbourne University at Skybus Stadium in Frankston. Until then, I'm Peter Holden. Bye for now.